I've often have conversations with my disease, almost like I'm speaking to it in the sense of, I don't fear you, you know? I know you're there, I don't fear you. I, I think that would probably be the, the, the thing that I would communicate to it the most because that satisfies me a little bit. So I just, I don't fear you. You are not in control of my life. If you're at all familiar with the Alzheimer's community, you've probably heard of Jeff Borgoff. He was diagnosed with Alzheimer's in 2016 at the age of 51. We met Jeff and his family during our Miles Road Trip stop in Forked River, New Jersey. Up until 2016, I was a, I call it an IT professional. Um, that's the simplest way to describe what I was doing. So it was, it was pretty involved. I was pretty high up on the food chain in the company. I did that until um, about 2016 when I was unfortunately diagnosed with uh, early stage younger onset Alzheimer's disease. I am one of those people who don't know anything about Alzheimer's disease. I have just been diagnosed with a disease that I have thought up until this point was exclusively the disease for senior citizens. And, and then I started looking and understanding the stigma of the disease, the myths of the disease, the stereotypes of disease. And I said, I've got to do something to help change that. Since his diagnosis, Jeff continues to be a relentless advocate, using his story to bring awareness, help shatter the stigma, and fundraise for Alzheimer's research. He's worked with the National Alzheimer's Association as a member of the National Early Stage Advisory Group. And as an Alzheimer's congressional team member, Jeff is also a participant in the Biogen Aducanumab clinical trial. He also happens to be one of the kindest human beings you'll ever meet. I've always led my life outside myself. And I, can, I think that kind of goes back to my upbringing, um, to serve others and be a servant leader. I was always that way across the board. And then when I m met this disease face on, I certainly could have shriveled up into the shadows given the prognosis, but that's not who I am at the core. So I took what I, I took the skill set that I had or have and the desire to help people. And I just kind of shifted it over to the thing that I'm most passionate about now. I've repurposed my life from uh, the technology field into the Alzheimer's advocacy field. And, it, and it, it, it's not about doing. It's not about being busy. It's about serving. It's about helping people. Young onset or early onset Alzheimer's is not a common form of dementia. Typically, it affects people who are in their 40s and 50s as they find themselves in the middle of their prime working and parenting years. Experts still don't know what triggers Alzheimer's disease, and family history is the only known risk factor of young-onset Alzheimer's. And while it may be an uncommon form of dementia, according to a recent report by Blue Cross Blue Shield, the number of Americans between the ages of 30 and 64 being diagnosed with young-onset has increased 200% between 2017 and 2020. Today, there are more than 200,000 Americans like Jeff living with young-onset Alzheimer's. There's no testing the water with your toe with this disease. You gotta jump in and just fight it full on, you know, full bore. I mean, that's the type of disease this is. And, and you have to do it in such a way that 
for me at least, I'm, sp I'm speaking about me, it's, it's like I have to communicate everything that I'm doing so that I can do everything that I can to help break down those stereotypes and those stigmas and those, uh, those myths about the disease and help push the narrative forward that, you know, someone like myself diagnosed in 2016, I am still viable. I'm still contributing. I'm still advocating. My mission is not just to communicate my disease, me, Jeff Borgoff, living with the, the disease, but it's also to communicate the caregiver's perspective. Because my wife is a caregiver, my mom was a caregiver, and is a caregiver. I was a caregiver living with Alzheimer's for my father. So I lived the perspective of a caregiver. So as Jeff is forced to retire at the age of 51 and begin his own journey with the disease, Jeff's father, who also had Alzheimer's, moves into the family home. Two generations under one roof, both learning to live with Alzheimer's. The effort to keep kids in college, pay bills, and maintain a healthy relationship can be a challenge even in the most optimal of circumstances. And when battling an unrelenting and unpredictable disease like Alzheimer's, the role of the caregiver often falls on women and can take an enormous toll financially, physically, and emotionally. Jeff is one of the fortunate ones. His wife, Kim, a self-professed type A planner, is relentless in her pursuit to keep her family together and maintain connection, patience and understanding, and above all, doing so with grace and love. It is our second marriage, both of us. So when I got divorced, uh, I was divorced for two years when I met Jeffrey, I was looking for a husband. I didn't like the single life, I didn't like the bar life. I needed a stepdad for my kids and a husband. So I was pretty serious. And Jeff had been divorced, I think, 14 years, so he was ready to, you know, get serious again. Kim and I actually met on eHarmony. We are, are an eHarmony success story. The first night that we went out, she brought a coupon for ice cream. That's generally something you probably don't do, is like start pulling out the coupons on our first date. And I remember on our first date, he came, I lived an hour away, he traveled an hour to take me out to dinner, and when we sat down at the table, he says, do you have any pictures of your kids? And that was it, I was, I was sold. I was like, oh, I love this guy, that's it, I'm done. And he has been wonderful to my two children. And we don't even say mine and his. We, we have three children together and it's, it's been wonderful. We were married uh, in, uh, on June 24th of 2009. I better get that right, 2009, yeah. Yeah, so um, we've been together better, about 12, 13 years now. Right? If you do the math, I think that's 2009. I don't know. <laughs> the caregiver financial burden overwhelmingly and disproportionately carried by women is staggering. According to a 2021 report from the Alzheimer's Association, approximately two-thirds of caregivers are women. In 2020, more than 11 million caregivers of people with Alzheimer's or other dementias provided an estimated 15.3 billion hours of unpaid care, a contribution to the nation valued at $257 billion. Another 2020 report from RBC Wealth Management revealed that the overall lifetime cost of care for a dementia family can often exceed $750,000 in direct and indirect expenses. 
And while this financial impact cannot be overstated and too often gets the most attention, the emotional and physical toll can be equally, if not more, devastating for the female caregivers fighting to hold their families together. Well, when my husband was diagnosed at age 51, he was still working. He was the main breadwinner. I had the benefits, the flexible schedule. He was diagnosed and he was told he can't go back to work. He can't drive. At one point I had three jobs. I'm down to two. We're making it work, but financially it was hard. Our middle daughter said to me one time, I had said to her, you know, can you, you take dad out to lunch or, or something? He needed to get out of the house. She came home and she texted me and she said, Kim, she said, it's, it's like taking a child out. She's like, I can't, I can't do this. Pretty much since the day I was diagnosed, people, I've heard them say, Jeff is suffering with Alzheimer's disease. And if you spend any time with me, yeah, my, I have my good days and my bad days. But I can tell you right now, I'm not suffering. The people in my life are suffering. My wife is suffering. My children are suffering. My parents are suffering. My brothers are suffering. The people who love me are suffering because they know the prognosis. And they know that slowly over time, Jeff's will fade away into oblivion. You know, that's what I have. They know that. <laughs> And that is the toughest thing on them because when I'm gone, they will be here still digesting that and living through that. That's, I think that weighs more on me than anything, to be honest with you. Sometimes he gets overwhelmed and he just stands in our kitchen and just walks around in circles. And I literally have to grab him and I say, Jeffrey, you know, what do you need to do? And just try and calm him down. Making a cup of coffee. He can still do it but you see him thinking about it. You know, he has to put the little coffee thing in the Keurig, make sure the coffee cup's under there because he's done it without the coffee cup. You know, the one thing I say, please do the dishes. That's all I need you to do. <laughs> I'll do everything else, just do the dishes. And he'll forget and I'll come in and, you know, I can't get mad at him because, you know, he forgot. But it's the daily tasks that are starting to get more difficult for him. You know, I'm starting to ask him, you know, did you get a shower because we're, we're starting to forget it, to get a shower every day. And I leave at eight o'clock in the morning to go to my full-time job. And sometimes I don't get home till eight, nine o'clock at night. So it's been very wearing on my children, even though they're now 21, 23, and 25. It's still a lot to see this man that, that they respect and that would do anything for them. Now we're all helping him make sure he can cross the street. We, we take him to the bathroom, you know, different things like that. So it's, it's tough, it's tough. Since Jeff's diagnosis, he's formed deep relationships with other young onset patients, some of whom we'll meet in future episodes of this podcast. They have candid conversations about stereotypes, stigma, and how to take these experiences and turn them into teachable moments so the rest of us can do a better job of shattering these stigmas, whether it's about aging, mental health or dementia? The, well, the first thing we usually say is like, um, all right, how many people have said to you this week, wow, you don't look or sound like you have Alzheimer's disease, <laughs> you know? And so that's usually, that usually starts the dialogue off with, man, I hate that. Or 
Wow, that's been a really, that was, uh, I had that happen to me three times this week, and three times this week I had a really great opportunity to educate people about Alzheimer's disease and younger Alzheimer's disease. I'll never forget the first time I sat in a group of people, other people living with Alzheimer's disease. It was my first session of the early stage advisory group for the Alzheimer's, uh, National Alzheimer's Association. And we sat, there was 12 of us in the room, and we all sat for a while, and we talked about each other, and we talked about all of the things that we're experiencing about living with the disease. And th this, this thing continues to this day. And what it did for me is it helped me understand that I'm not going in crazy. I'm living with a neurodegenerative disease that is affecting everything in my life you're able to leave those conversations and know that you're not alone. This is a real disease, just like diabetes, cancer. Almost every conversation on the Miles road trip touched on mental health in some way. Everyone is unique, so every story about Alzheimer's and mental health is completely different. Kim and Jeff were very candid in discussing the challenges they face and how they continue to work through these challenges each and every single day. It is now hitting him. He has made comments that he just wishes his brain would go so that he doesn't know what he's going, what's happening. And that breaks my heart, because where Jeff is now, number one, he took care of his father, home. We kept him home until he passed of Alzheimer's. And so he, he knows firsthand, and he has said to me, Kim, don't do this. I don't want you to keep me home and do what I'm doing for dad. So we've had those difficult conversations. And then with him progressing and knowing it's been difficult on his mental health. And actually, he's looking to see somebody to talk to, too. We're both going to go to, to people. So recently, I have been having this, this dialogue with, uh, with Evan and Hal. And the dialogue has been, God, give me 10 more years. Give me 10 more years, and I'll continue to do everything I'm doing exactly the way you want me to, as long as I can see my kids married and bounce a couple of babies on my knee, grandchildren on my knee. 10 more years. I'm hoping and praying I get that deal, you know? But then there's that darkness, you know, that often comes with the light. And it says, Jeff, you're going to be a vegetable in 10 years. Why would you want to wait around that long? Why don't you just pack it in now? Why cause years of suffering for, for your family? Just pack it in now. And I'm not talking about taking my own life. I'm just asking for speedy deliverance so my family doesn't have to suffer too, too much. And then I say, no, no. That's exactly what the darkness wants. So I say, I'm, 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 I'm staying with the light. I'm heading towards the light. I've also told my wife, I said, the two things you don't, you don't want to know in your life, when you're going to die and how you're going to die. Nobody wants to know that. I know how I'm going to die. I just don't know when. That's a tough thing, <laughs> you know? I know that when Jeffrey was first diagnosed, I'm very type A, so I need my plans. I need to know what's happening. With Alzheimer's, there is no plans. Your plans are done. 
our retirement, which we weren't even ready for. I'm, I'm 46, I just turned 46. All of those are gone, and I was focusing on those things, what we're not gonna be able to do, what is gone, and what I think I would do over is I would appreciate where we were. And I was told that. Everybody told me that. You need to just stay in the now. And I was just like, no, I can't. I need to figure out, you know. I hired an attorney right away. We, we, you know, we got all our wills done. I was like, boom, 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 trying to get everything in order. That I feel like I really kind of missed a good maybe two or three years with my husband, where now we're a little further in the disease. And him and I are very open. You know, the doctors originally gave him four to eight years, and we're in year four. So we know he doesn't have a whole lot of time. And as we know, the last year, you're pretty much not doing anything. So I really feel like now I'm like, oh my goodness, I need to live for today. And, you know, we do have plans next month, but I'm not looking two and three years down. I need to just stay focused. So I think as a new caregiver, that's what I would, I would say. Try and not look too far ahead, because you can't change it. I like to control things. I'm a bit of a control freak. So it drives me insane that I don't know exactly when Jeffrey's going to hit that next stage. I don't know if he'll be able to uh, stay home or if I'll have to put him in, in a nursing home. Like, those are things that weigh on my mind constantly. As Alzheimer's progresses, it's inevitable that people begin to fall away. Everyone has their own reason, so it's important to remember how critical socialization is for people living with Alzheimer's. Even if you're uncomfortable and it feels awkward, don't worry about getting it right. Sometimes just being present and engaged during a visit can be the best medicine for both patient and caregiver. Socialization is one of the most important things that a person living with Alzheimer's disease requires. That's been a, a, a kind of a difficult thing for me recently, um, socialization. We used to try and go out to dinner to just stay active, which we've stopped, just because crowds are really difficult for Jeffrey. During those times, everybody gets to see him, you know, for a half an hour, hour, and they think he's doing wonderful. And I'm like, yeah, he, you know, I get a lot of, oh, Jeffrey looked great today. Or, oh, you know, he wasn't that bad. Um, I do have one girlfriend who has really taken an interest, and she has read books about Alzheimer's. She's always asking me, how's Jeffrey doing? If you need me to come over, I can come over, you know, whatever you need. So I do have that one best friend that has tried to come alongside of me as best as she can. So that's a good thing. I'm noticing myself becoming more sensitive to the fact that I'm not seeing the people that I used to see. And people will talk about that. I said, I'm going to try and be more present when I'm home. I don't want to regret. And I feel like if I continued on what I was doing with trying to stay busy and let my health go and not talk to anybody, I would regret that I wasted the last few years with my husband. So I am trying to refocus and uh, really make the best out of what we have left. I think one of the things about this disease, because of what it does to you, especially of a young person like myself, and when I say young person, I'm 50, 55 years old, 
Everyone's living life at the speed of light. We know that. I am no longer living this life of, at, at the speed of light. Things have pretty much slowed down for me, and that's a good thing. I'm not able to go anywhere because I can no longer drive. So life is about meeting your friends halfway, right? I can't get there, and their life is so busy that they can't get all the way over here to me. I understand that. So it's kind of a little bit like that. But that doesn't take away the feeling of loneliness, you know? So you try to step outside the box and look at it from a different angle and say, okay, okay, the, the friends that used to be around me, well, there's a lot of stuff going on in their life too, you know? Who knows? It could be divorce, it could be children sick. I, I don't know what's going on in everybody else's life, you know? To me, it's all about meeting people halfway. But again, because of the isolation, I think I'm a little bit more sensitive to it. I had a recent situation. Jeffrey wanted to go get flowers and get this and get that. And we went into Home Depot, and nobody knows Jeffrey has Alzheimer's. Although I wish, I keep saying, you need to get a shirt that says, I have Alzheimer's. Because people will get agitated, and they will get short with him, because sometimes he has a hard time finding his words. You know, he has spatial issues, so he'll be right on top of you sometimes. So we were in Home Depot, and this woman was wonderful with Jeffrey. And I don't think she knew. She was so patient. She she listened to him ramble and go in every single way. And I was trying to give him the independence still because he's able to. So I try and not interrupt a whole lot unless I have to. And this woman was just fantastic. So I, I went and I talked to the manager. I wrote a letter to Home Depot. And I just think it's so important that the public realize you don't know what is behind that person. You know, he was all foggy and walking around in circles, and he could have just been an annoyed customer, but my husband has a disease, and I think that people need to be more aware of that. I've always told my kids, you don't know what someone's life has been like, so you can't judge. And I think it's the same, it's the same. And this woman, she, you know, just patience, patience. You know, we live in a, a fairly small community and Jeffrey's very well known in the Alzheimer's community. People are just really in their own little worlds. They don't realize, even people, you know, I, I don't even know that all of our neighbors know. What the disease does to you, to take away your independence, to take away the things that you're able to do, but it's also, I think it has a lot to do, really it kind of comes back to those myths, stereotypes, and stigmas, right? It's like, how do I communicate with Jeff? So how do I continue to try to communicate with that person without feeling this sense of, I guess, dread or even uh, sorrow? And I'm not asking for any of that. I'm just, just come and hang out with me, <laughs> you know? I mean, you'll see that, you know, there's not too much has changed, you know, I'm still, like the guy that I used to be. Uh, definitely there's some neurological changes that have happened. We never stop looking for answers or holding out hope for a cure. And where logic and science fall short, we have to fill the void and find catharsis with personal stories from people like the Borgoffs. They matter, their voices matter, and every day they spend sharing and fighting, we're all a little better off for it. We have to continue to shape or evolve our culture in a way to see dementia not as an old person's disease, 
but as a disease that affects everyone. It affects our communities, it affects our families, it affects our country. Anyone could look at the numbers. The facts are there, alls.org slash facts. You can go see it. But I think the biggest thing that can help change the narrative about Alzheimer's disease is to get folks like myself who are living with the disease, who can still advocate and speak about the disease and share their experiences about the disease for those who can't any longer. I think in Jeffrey's eyes, he, he knows I'll be okay. He knows the kids and I will be okay, but he's, he wants to leave a legacy. That's his main thing. And he wants everything to be in order so that we're okay. And right there shows you my husband. He, he's probably the best person I've ever met in my life, and he gets hit with this disease. I don't get it. I've often said I'd probably be crawled up in a bed crying and not Jeffrey. He's out there, he's fighting. I'm still mad at God. We're not him. He always says there's a reason I'm going through this. Every morning he wakes up and he goes, thank God I'm alive. The disease may be in control of my life to the extent that it changes my life externally and things that I'm able to do and not able to do, but it's never gonna change the essence of who I am. That will never change. Even in the darkest place that this disease takes me, it's never gonna change who I am. It's never gonna take away the essence of who Jeff is. That's the thing that I, I try to communicate to people. And that's the thing that I try to communicate to my kids. This disease is not gonna change who Jeff is. We'll see. <laughs> Thank you, Kim and Jeff, for being so open and sharing your stories with all of us. And thank you to the entire Jeff Borgoff family for hosting all of our Miles Road Trip conversations during our stop in Forked River. We've included links in the show notes to Jeff and Kim's website, as well as a few organizations with helpful resources, so you can learn more about topics like brain health and the best way you can help support the more than 16 million Americans currently providing unpaid care for Alzheimer's and dementia patients. We've also included links to all of the reports we mentioned in this episode. And finally, if you'd like to support this podcast and our project, please visit myalzheimers.net. Today's program was mixed by Woody Woodhall. This podcast is a production of Joe Digital Inc. and the My Alzheimer's Story Project, raising awareness and helping Alzheimer's research one story at a time. I'm Zach Jordan. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time on the My Alzheimer's Story Project Podcast.